Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to season three of the Power, Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abimbola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy. The consultancy's main goal is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. Thanks to you, our lovely listeners, our podcast has become a huge success since our April launch, with over 2,700 downloads, listeners in 50 countries, 549 cities across all seven continents, and well over 40 published episodes to date. We've also been ranked incredibly as a top podcast for careers by Apple Podcasts. So please continue to share, like, rate, subscribe, and comment on Apple Podcasts so that we can reach an even bigger audience than we have before. Now, today, I'm really excited for two very special reasons. The first special reason is, as promised, my son, Max, will be joining me as a co-interviewer. So, yes, Max is here, back by popular demand. Uh So, Max, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, everyone. My name is Max Abimbola, as you know. I'm a first-year computer science student, and I will be studying at Newcastle later in September. And the other reason why I'm so excited about today's podcast is the young lady that I'm interviewing. Katie Friedley-Walton is a family friend. I've known her for many, many years. She's an absolute delight. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Now, Katie, obviously, Max and I both know you very well, but our wider audience might not. So would you mind introducing yourself to our audience, Katie, and telling us all a bit more about you, please? Hi, everyone. I'm Casey Friedewilton, as I said, and I'm an actor and currently also about to start a job as a part-time paralegal as well and caseworker support at Turpin Miller, which is an asylum and immigration law firm in Oxford. I've just finished my English degree at Oxford University, so it's sort of an extension of my time in Oxford for a bit. But at the same time, I've been balancing studying with professional acting work um, and training and bits of that. So that's me. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Katie. And there are just a few more things that uh, we'd love to explore with you uh, during our time. So the first thing is just kind of tell us a bit more about your career to date as of now. As an actor and as a creative, I've had like a bit of a twisty path. I've also just stopped being a student. So it's been an amazing last few years. When I was still at school, I did the Radi Youth Company, which was this amazing sort of weekend year long course at RADA, the drama school in London. And so I'd go in and I'd train basically for all day on the weekends. And it was a bit like doing their foundation course, but for a year and for slightly younger students. And that really changed my life. And I just learned so much about the acting industry and the sort of people I wanted to work with. And it really like opened up my world. And then since then, I've been like hugely driven and passionate. I always have been really passionate about acting, but to get into it and make a career out of it. And I mean, the acting world is a very tricky place to to do that, but I've been really lucky. I've made some amazing connections, done some really, really cool jobs and bits of training. So yeah, I've I've loved that. And then, so after school, I sort of my big plan was to go to to drama school. I didn't actually apply for uni when I was still at school I I did some drama school auditions but it's very different it's very different to getting into uni getting into drama school most people don't get in at 18 and I think the average age of going is about 21 and so I sort of planned to to just 
audition for the first year while I was still doing my A-levels, see how that went, um, and then leave school, start working, do a few different things, acting jobs, and reapply to drama school. But then I ended up getting closer than I imagined I would and sort of put on waiting lists and things and reserve lists at some of a couple of the drama schools that I'd gone for, including Lambda, which is the um, London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. So I was sort of waiting on that the summer after A-levels. And then at the same time, I got my A-level results. And like I'd worked really hard at school, but I'd never thought of myself as the particularly academic one just because I was very arty and sort of focused on a lot of that. Uh, You know, I went to a great school, the same one that Max has just finished and my brother. But, you know, like it wasn't a big private school that was very like Oxbridge focused or anything. And so that whole thing really passed me by. And then basically I got really surprising A-level results in like a nice way because I had worked really hard and they sort of enabled me to make this Oxbridge application afterwards a little bit unexpectedly and... I didn't really know what I was doing with it, but was told that it could be a good way into acting and and also just a really amazing experience. And so then at the time I was meant to sort of put in my second rounds of auditions and I was really excited to give that another go for drama schools. I got this offer to study English at Oxford. Now, looking back, having just finished it was like the most amazing experience. I always felt very, very grateful and lucky to be there, but a little bit. So I struggled with imposter syndrome in the first year and and just found it, yeah, something that I never imagined myself doing. But actually, by the end of it, I've loved it. And despite the pandemic happening in the middle, which was hard in itself, the course has just been amazing. And I've learned to think in such a new way. And, and my frame of reference has widened so much. And it's just all been about stories and, and what I love, how to yeah tell stories and different voices and, and literature and all that. So it's been absolutely amazing yeah I think that's I guess my last few years and then there's been lots of different things in between which I'm sure we can go into yes no I love that and for our listeners as you know I I record on zoom so I can actually see Katie's face and just the joy and the energy that that's coming out of her you know from all of this (laughs) and remembering that journey and I just remember the first time we met you, you know, at, at the school, you were showing us around when Matt was considering going to the school. And we've seen you uh, performing live. You know, we did uh, come to see a local theatre and I, I saw you in uh, Dolak Boys Fine, which yeah. was that, that short film recently where you looked exactly as you did when you were at school. You know, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I suppose that really gives us a sense of why you chose your career path. You know, it wasn't it was partly by design and partly chance and, you know, mm. really down to hard work at, at the end of the day, Katie. I mean, you did exceptionally well on your A-levels. But uh, I'd love to get a sense of what particular challenges you feel you've had to overcome. You've touched on imposter syndrome as being mm. something that you had to sort of overcome and get used to. Were there any other challenges, Katie, that you'd like to sort of share with us, please? I'd be keen to hear more. I think there's a lot. It's just... You know, every day there's there's things that everyone struggles with. And I think so often it can be in your head, like it definitely in the first year of Oxford and, and continuing through it, to be honest, imposter syndrome is, is such a real thing. And I think everyone struggles with it to a certain extent. But like, you know, having self-worth and I feel like it's a practice rather than just like something that you have or you don't, you have to work on it with acting and everything because I 
care so much about it. It's just been something that I've always loved and felt so passionate about and sort of the way I see the world. But being able to also sometimes separate myself from that, and especially because of how um, difficult the industry is and how how many people there are who are very, very talented and, you know, competing. And I know that all industries are like that to a certain extent, but it's it's a very extreme version in acting. It's about keeping like hold of the reason you do it, the reason that you care, and and like a sense of your own self-worth, I think. So yeah, there's been times where it's it's been really hard to to keep that like I've heard someone describe it, a really great actor that I know, um, Yusuf Kirkle, he's described it as like the North Star. You have to know what your North Star is and keeping heading towards that. And even when times are really tough with rejection or with with stress or anxieties or anything like that, knowing why you're doing what you're doing and what it's for. Yeah, and like sort of holding on to that and try not to overthink, I guess. I have a very active brain, <laughs> which sometimes <laughs> means that I just can't stop thinking or can't stop thinking, what's next, what's next? Like, how can I um, move on to the next sort of thing project or, or or get involved with the next people and sometimes actually being able to to rest I think is something that I'm I'm trying to work through at the moment how do I stay really productive and and keep on with my passions and and all this stuff I want to do and people I want to meet and collaborate with but also like take care of myself and and, and not burn out I think especially coming from a place like Oxford where where hard work is everything and I think I've I've always been someone who works like really really hard and I really value that but also like just remembering that you you can take time as well and look after yourself within that and not beat yourself up sort of thing yeah no that's a really really very important message Katie thank you for that and you've spoken about I mean you've spoken about all the different things you you do I mean it's like it's always like, what don't you do at the end of the day? <laughs> different things, but, you know, what does an average day really look like for you? Like, what's the world of Katie like on a day to day? Uh-huh. Um, it's a really hard question to answer because I, I do different things every day, basically. In the last few weeks, I've done a couple of different, what's called R&Ds with different theatre groups and a film project as well, actually. So R&D being research and development. So, you know, last the last few weeks I was commuting in and out of London, doing spending sort of 10 till 6 in a rehearsal room, working with directors. We've just done a really interesting project called Intimacies with a great director called Georgie Detmer and a writer called Sam Spencer and a, actually a painter called Paul Magic. And all together they're sort of inspired by these woodcuts from, I think, the 19th century France. Paul is responding to them and painting and then Sam's responding to his paintings and the woodcuts and writing these scenes and so I've then been in the room as a sort of collaborator and artist and we've been doing the scenes and and what do they how do they come out in in an actor's body or how can you change the rhythms of them or yeah what do they sound like aloud because the idea is to make an exhibition well actually I think early next year early 22 now where Paul's paintings will be displayed in the exhibition and then Sam's uh, scenes will be sort of fed through earphones or something for the audience. It's a really interesting like collaboration between art and theatre and audio and all those different mediums, which I think is a really exciting thing. But then equally, a day later, I did an R&D on a 
film project which is using motion capture so it's like wearing those like sensors all over my body and sort of running up and down stairs and and doing little scenes with like no one next to me is <laughs> all this like amazing technology so one was very physical and text-based and, and art-based and then the, the next day it was like something out of a film or you know sci-fi thing where I'm wearing sensors and I can see a little like a sim of myself on a screen and it's like in my body and it, yeah so I mean that that was just two completely different days but yeah so it's a bit of a hard question to answer but from next week I'm starting a new part-time job where I'll be sort of nine to five thirty working as an admin assistant and paralegal caseworker support at this law firm so that's a new routine that I'll get used to and fitting that in and around my acting work will be a really a challenge and an interesting thing a day can be absolutely anything for me and I need to get better at going to bed early and not working late into the night and you know looking up self-tapes or learning scripts for things I, I need to get into a better sleep routine I think <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that Katie and I'd love to get a sense of the work you've done with the refugee community actually asylum mm-hmm. human rights that you know it would just be so so unfortunate if we didn't delve into that yeah. a little bit more you know how did that all develop I mean where did that start and, and how's that all going now I'd love to hear more yeah so it's again with me like lots of pathways sort of converging in the middle and, and plot twists and things but I've, it's something I've always cared about and been really interested in and then when I was actually at Beaumont at our old school I got involved with a charity called Hearts for Refugees and there I started just doing like sortings of donations in the Beaumont School Hall on weekends occasionally and then after school I actually saw this play in at the Young Vic called The Jungle which was an incredible play that was by a theatre company called Good Chance Theatre who were originally set up in the Calais jungle by a couple of British playwrights as like a collaborative space for anyone living there to come and teach or share music or dance or theatre and workshops were held but also just a space to sort of space of familiarity or artistic freedom or safety and I saw their show which was in the yeah in in London but had um actors of all sorts of backgrounds in it and just was an amazing sort of celebration of different people from refugee backgrounds and but also of the sort of quite harrowing and and, um, really good at raising awareness of what was going on in Calais which I knew of because of working um, with Hearts for Refugees but then after seeing that and looking up their their company I realised that they were looking for people to come and work with them in Paris um, who had like artistic or theatre backgrounds and because what, I mean one of my A-levels was art and I, I paint and I've always loved visual arts as well I, I thought this is actually a really great thing because I can go over and work with this company and learn more about it so I, I did end up going to Paris and working with them in Port La Chapelle which was an area where there was a processing centre there and also their their pop-up sort of dome theatre was based right next to it so there was loads of people coming in every day and it was Again, a bit like the same sort of space that they'd originally created in the Calais jungle before 2016. So this is a few years after that. So I went there and had the most amazing time working and meeting the most incredible people from all around the world. There was so much sharing and 
interesting points of view and cultural influences and it was just the most incredible space and I made some lifelong friends there and then after that I felt that I wanted to keep helping out in any way I could so I've been to Calais and working with um, Refugee Community Kitchen quite a few times and just much less glamorous so well not that good chance is particularly glamorous but very much sort of scrubbing carrots for three hours in the morning and you know long long days and just working in a functioning kitchen basically rck refugee community kitchen they serve roughly between 1500 2000 meals a day for people living rough on the streets in calais um, and dunkirk and occasionally brussels as well and they're an amazing charity they sort of work out of a warehouse with a few different french grassroots organizations and british ones as well including help refugees who are now known as Choose Love, I think. But yeah, so I've been there quite a few times. The more you go, the the more helpful you are to them. And just just literally being like people to get the food prep done and everything like that, and then serving on the ground and stuff. But yeah, it's it's been something that I've just done regularly up until the pandemic, um, essentially. And then this last year when I was thinking about what to do after uni and maybe like because I missed out so much time in Oxford due to lockdowns and things, feeling that it would be really nice to stay in Oxford for a bit, but also needing a job that would make me a little bit of money, but also thinking about going back to Calais. I was telling someone about this, and then they knew of this immigration law firm in Oxford called Turpin Miller, and they said, I think they've got paralegal positions going. So I got in touch with them and applied for one of their positions. But luckily, they know about my accent, so hopefully the part-time facet of it will mean that I can sort of keep my hand on both pulses and who knows maybe it will be a year of out of acting to just focus on this but I'm gonna see over the next few months how they can sort of fit in together but I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to do for a year so I'll be working in their sort of legal aid team on probably yeah asylum cases and things like that and just really being like an admin help but there's some amazing people that work there so um, yeah really interested to see how it how it turns up. It's just wonderful to hear how this again aligns with your personal values, Katie. Yeah. You know that um I've gosh, I mean, I've known you for so long and we've never discussed legal career options at all. It's not something that's ever come up, but <laughs> this to me makes perfect sense. You know, it's it's the right time. I love the way that you you grab these opportunities. You know, there's an overall plan. Uh, but you're sort of open to whatever evolves. And it's just great to be able to live your life like that. It's a truly wonderful thing, Katie. I really wanted to just get an understanding of what you really understand by by the word privilege and what that means to you. Mm. I think it's a really interesting word because and, and concepts and, and real thing, because I think so many of us are just so privileged and so lucky. I, I'm so aware of that myself. And I know at one point when I was much younger, I sort of, came to realize it and I've always thought a lot about how other people live and like but really really became so aware of how lucky I am in in the wider sense of the world and and even and you know in the UK and everything just how incredibly lucky I am for so many reasons and at first I felt a lot at at points I did feel a lot of like guilt for it or um overwhelmed by how unfair actually the world was and that I was so lucky within that, but it made me very, very angry what the reality of it all is. And then I think when you realise that actually your anger and your guilt 
is not going to do anything and like people who need help they get nothing from you feeling guilty about it and it's in some ways it's just equally self-serving to sit there and be like I feel so bad that the world is so unfair so I think actually just getting up and being like yeah I've been dealt some really really good cards in life and I'm so grateful for that and lucky about it you know even just like the fact that I was born in the UK so my passport is like you know one that will get me in many places in the world with relatively little issue you know that I wasn't born in poverty or I have white privilege so many things like that I think just actually being like you know what I'm I got to use it I've got to use the time the resources I have to help some people out and not just sit and sort of wallow in in like guilt or anything like that because no one can do anything with that and you may as well like go and try and do something and and help out if you can if you have the privilege to be able to do that so yeah I think that's that's what I feel about privilege. That makes perfect sense Katie and you touched on a really important point around guilt which is is sort of almost a default position when you Mm. suddenly realize you have privilege and I, you know, we we all are privileged, really. I mean, given where we live and exactly. part of the country, you, you touch on citizenship. I was born Nigerian, so I knew all the downsides of having a Nigerian passport before I, I got my British passport uh, almost mm-hmm. 20 years ago now. There is a real difference, you know, around nationality, citizenship and so on. But I, I love what you say about, you know, what can we do about it? Because this really brings us to, to allyship, doesn't it, Katie? And you don't strike me as someone who is into performative allyship in any way, shape or form. But what does allyship mean to you? And, and what can you examples can you give, Katie, of where you've seen that in action, either yourself being a good ally or others have been a great ally to other people? Mm. I think it's interesting what you say, Funke, because I think allyship is so important, but there's such a um, danger of it being performative or Again, self-serving. And I think like true allyship is listening and being receptive and but but not just listening, going, oh yes, I'm I'm here, I'm listening, I'm taking this all in. But like changing your behavior to accord to that. Um it's, it's so maybe it's not just listening, it's actually hearing as well. Yeah, and, and and not making it about you. You know, it's it's about the action rather than like sitting in it, a bit like what I was saying just before. It's about doing something that will positively affect someone, even if it's just a little, like, on that day, it will make a little difference. I think the most amazing person I know who's, like, just the most incredible example of allyship, this is my friend Abdul Sabur, who's a photographer. He lives in Paris at the moment. He's Afghan, and he came over to France. He had a really complex journey um, coming over to France think in 2017 possibly because he he worked for the US um, army and had to flee the Taliban essentially but he is the most incredible person and he has been through so much but then in in many ways he'll say himself he's been extremely lucky because of the his his English skills being fantastic and all these you know little tiny privileges because each one is yeah when you, when you get down to the details, that privilege can come in every single little detail, can't it? And one little thing can make a huge difference to how other people treat you. He is now settled in France um, and he's a really successful photographer and I really encourage everyone to go and look up his 
um, photography, Abdul Sabur. He works all over the world or his pictures are shown all over the world. But he still goes back to RCK all the time and just gets involved cooking. And, you know, he he goes and photographs the situation in Calais as well. And he is so intent on using his privilege as someone that has now received asylum but he 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 will come back and he he still just lives his life but his actions are are still about helping people and just getting the act done of helping out and those little things of when he has free time he will be there doing what he can for other people and I think that's he's just like a dear dear friend and someone that I admire so much it's never showy it's not like look at me this is what I'm doing and I think I think that's something about allyship as well I think true allyship is not about you it's not about what you can show to other people that you're doing I think raising awareness is obviously really really important but yeah just the like continued act of actually doing something whether that's volunteering your time your money your resources your skills to help someone out I guess that's a wonderful way of putting it, Katie. You know, I really, and I love that example as well. And we'll be sure to have a link to his wonderful work, yeah. you know, uh, in the show notes. I think we do really need to give him, give him a heads up and, you yeah. know, let people Fantastic. know a bit more. Sounds absolutely superb. Yeah, and I think it's really, it's really evident that you live a very, like, colourful life. Like, there's so much variety <laughs> um, in your life with your friends, with the work that you do and just the things that you do in general. So I really just wanted to understand, like, why is diversity and inclusion important to you? I think it's everything. I think it's it's just completely untruthful and insincere to live a life that doesn't look outwards and, you know, look at what, what our world looks like. Because it's so much richer if you're if you're meeting people from every background and you're engaging with people who are unlike you. I think I, I think it would just be very boring and sad if if no one did that. And I think difference is a thing to be celebrated and, and investigated. And you know that doesn't mean it's easy always, but like I think what makes me want to act really is like because I really like humans and like how complex they are and and how we communicate is so layered and nuanced. And we're all so different, but equally we all have like this core thing of humanity and like like emotions or the way we we relate to each other and so I think I think I'd be being really like insincere if I wanted to be an actor and didn't didn't care about diversity and inclusion and yeah the like full range of being a human being because that's what I want to explore through my art and and you know the the rooms the rehearsal rooms the projects that have been the absolute best are the ones where there's been stories being told that I've not heard before or you know I've been able to learn about a different culture or a different person or you know anything like that and I think that's what I care about most in like the work I want to do acting wise. Yeah I really really love what you're saying about diversity and inclusion Katie and and just the richness it adds to life. It certainly reminds me of having watched Olafur is Fine the, the film that we saw you in and it was all about the importance of names, wasn't it? It was a young Nigerian girl who was under huge pressure to uh, anglicise her name, something that I talk a lot about, <laughs> trying to fit in yeah. when you feel you're other. But tell us a bit more about that, Katie. And I'd be so keen to hear how you got involved, what attracted <laughs> you to that project in the first place? Yes, yeah, so I think, I mean, it's a perfect example of 
what I was just saying about the most exciting projects being stories that haven't necessarily been told yet. So I, it's a film called Delapo is Fine, um, and it's actually available on Netflix if anyone would like to watch <laughs> a little plug. But I got involved through some sort of volunteering, I guess, that I was doing with an arts organisation called The Monobox, which if there's anyone that's interested in training as an actor or just learning more about the theatre and acting industry, I definitely recommend The Monobox. Um, so it's an arts organisation run by Joan Iola and Polly Bennett, who are amazing actress and movement director. And they set it up to sort of provide affordable acting training in London for young, well, not even just young people, anyone that wants to top up their training or learn more. It's the most amazing community. So I, I got involved with them when I was, you know, in year 12, so 16, maybe 17 um, and I go to them again on weekends and learn about plays. And it was just amazing. And then I started helping them out, sort of making some videos with them and, and just working in their play library. And then Joan Iola, who's a British Nigerian actor and co-producer of, in fact, co-founder of Apatan Productions, which is a film production company. And she's also a writer. She's just very multi-talented. <laughs> she then got mentioned me to the casting director of her new film which was being made called De Lapa's Fine and it's so it all sort of came about through these links I'd made and people that I'd worked with and getting involved in that film was just just the best thing ever because yeah so it's about a girl called De Lapa who is at a British boarding school she's Nigerian and I play her best friend Imogen and yeah so she's put under all this pressure by her careers advisor who's played by Joan in the film actually but to change her name, to change her hair, to fit in, to assimilation first, she's told. And sort of to lose a huge part of her identity in order to fit into the, the, the corporate world that she's going into. It was the most amazing film to, to film because it was a really diverse set. And the people on that, on that set were just amazing. I learned so much from all of them, especially it being one of my first film jobs. I learned so much from Doyen, who plays the lead, and she's an incredible actor. And just the way she held herself on set and got through it all, you know, long hours filming is, is a sort of treacherous thing sometimes to be doing. It taught me so much. And when Joan told me that I got the part over the phone, she really kept me on for a while, not knowing what she was going to say. And it was just really so funny. But she she then said, look, I know what you're like. You want to learn everything. So you can just be on set, even in the scenes you're not in. You can sit there and, and take it all in and ask people what they're up to. So, you know, I talked to technicians and, and makeup artists and hairstylists. Lorraine Bailey, who's absolutely incredible. She works on all the hair um, styles in, in Delapa's Fine. It's actually funny what you said, Funke, earlier about watching that film and seeing me at school again, because I was... So I was in my second year of uni when when we were filming that. And I remember getting into set and sitting down in the hair and makeup chair and Lorraine just came over and she sort of looked at me and twisted my hair up into this little quiff um, just here. And it's exactly the terrible hairstyle I used to have at Beaumont. <laughs> and I immediately looked 16 again or whatever. Um, it was funny. But, but just the skill and the passion of all the people making that film was incredible. and. It meant, you know, I could learn about the industry from a set that 
as Joan put when she first sort of told me about it, she was like, we're going to run this as we think film sets should be run. They The film had received a funding prize from Bumble, actually. It's called the Bumble Female Film Force, which was set up by two amazing women to give grants to young female-led film crews who have different projects. And so just the ethos of that set was about diversity, inclusion, equality and equity actually you know accessibility for everyone on that set and I know that sounds like all these words I've just said but I think it did embody that because um you know things like making sure that there were black hairstylists because the film was so much about afro hairstyle and you know getting like an authentic people onto the set who understood the story and and could bring like the reality the real lived experience of what we were trying to make was so so brilliant to be a part of yeah and I just I'm so grateful for it and it was an absolute dream that the film then went on to do so well it felt in its sort of film festival run which is what short films tend to do it went to the American Black Film Festival straight away in the States which was amazing and it won the HBO prize there which was judged by all sorts of absolute legends and so then HBO took it up in the States and then back in the UK it did the London BFI Film Festival, so many amazing festivals, in fact, all around the world. And then eventually was acquired by Netflix, UK Island. So that was just, yeah, has been such a dream. And then it got long listed for BAFTA. And just listening to Joan and all the like publicity that she did around it and why she made the film and why it's important to have these conversations about the pressures, especially that young women um, and young black women have to face. But equally, it's a film that's told with joy and it's not depressing, it's it's uplifting. And I think it was just, yeah, it was a dream. And I feel really lucky to be a part of it. It was wonderful to watch. And what I loved about it was how name discrimination was, it sort of turned it on its head and actually really sold the very positive message that your name is so unique to you. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's <laughs> It's inherently part of your identity. You know, it was mm. wonderful. And, and what was funny for me as well was that I have four cousins called Alakbo, you know, yeah. so it's just of all the names. Absolutely super, honestly, and wonderful performances all around. I really enjoyed yours and that, Katie, as well. It was, it was nice to also just explore, you know, like friendship and female friendship and and being a young woman and learning who you are and who you are in relation to your friends and how to empathize across differences and, and what it is to have you know a diverse friendship or you know a diverse group of friends I just think it really went into themes that haven't we haven't really seen on tv and film yet and I think we need to see more of so yeah it was just a pleasure really agree with that absolutely thank you so much Katie for everything um you've said here today as we when touched on so many different topics and really given us a good insight into your career and the acting world and uh, so many different things. But I just wanted to wonder if there was anything else you wanted to say, just to plug something uh, for our listeners. Or It's been a pleasure to chat to you. I mean, we have covered a lot. We'll make sure that we have all the links, you know, even to watching De La Poise Fine, uh, all the charities you've mentioned. We'll get yeah. all those details for our listeners in the show notes. But Katie, honestly, I'm just so glad I was able to grab an hour of your time, uh, very, very busy schedule that you have. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Katie. Really, really grateful to you. 
Well, thank you so much, Max and Funke, for having me on. It's been lovely. <laughs> and, and thank you to our lovely listeners who are constantly building up hype about these podcasts. We're just so thrilled to have your support and loyalty, and we would not be the success that we are without you. So thank you. And I look forward very much, Max and I, to our next conversation and interview with yet another inspiring leader, just like Katie. Lee Walton. So thank you very much, everybody, and goodbye.